Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So you can begin looking that up now. And while you're getting that ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider his word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon, which will be given by one of the members of Eaglehawk Presbyterian, Anthony. And so let's pray. Our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us a desire, as your Spirit works in us, to walk according to that light. Show us Jesus. Make us love him and strive to live for him. Amen. And now let's read James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large, and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And now it's over to the children's talk. Hi everyone, I'm here with three of my kids... Kai, Ellie, and Hannah. Say hi, guys. Hi. Now, can you remember what we've been learning from the book of James? Ellie? To live, pat our chest, work, hammer, wisely, point to our head, for God, um, point to the sky. That's right. James is teaching us to live... And work, hammering, wisely, pointing at the head for God. Grown-ups, make sure you're doing it too. That's right. Now, here is Jemima. 
Jemima, she's got her glasses on so that she can see the world rightly, so that she can see the world with wisdom, understanding it as the Bible uh, talks about it. And she's got her listening ears on. Okay, listening ears, making sure she hears what is expected of her. And one day she was at school and she's got a friend and her name is called Berta. Now, Berta was feeling very upset, very upset one day. She wasn't feeling right at all. She wasn't feeling like uh, she was loved or appreciated. She was just feeling really down. What's some ways that you think that Jemima could make Berta feel better? Ellie? Make her a cake and give it to her. All right. Yeah, that's not bad. Kai? Comfort her. How could she do that? She could say, it's all right, you're loved. I love you. Um, Mm. Hannah? Play with her. Play with her? Yeah, these are all great ideas. Well, what Jemima decided to do right then and there was to tell her how much she cared for her and how much she appreciated Berta. So Jemima told Berta about all the things that she appreciated about her, that Berta was kind and that she was fun and that she was funny and that she was really smart in class. How do you think that made Berta feel? Kind? Better. Yeah, it did. It made her feel a lot better. Jemima loved Berta with her words, didn't she? She showed her love by telling her. Now, there was another girl at school. This girl was called Winona. Now, Winona didn't have many friends. And Jemima was in a group, a group of people, a group of other kids. And the group was making fun of Winona. And Jemima started to join in in making fun of Winona. She made fun of Winona's hair. She made fun of the fact that Winona was shorter than everyone else. Now, James is teaching us to live and work wisely for God. Do you think that Jemima was doing that, that she was living and working wisely for God with her words. Hannah, what do you think? No. No, she wasn't, was she? You know, part of wisdom is using our words well. Wisdom means to remember that God is our maker and is in control and that God has made us to love others. And he's made our tongues so that we can talk and love others with our words. You know, Jesus told us to love one another. And Jesus showed us his love for us. How? How did Jesus show us his love for us? Hannah? By sending Jesus to die on the cross. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross and that's how he showed his love for us. And so... Jesus, God, James, 
wants us to use our tongues to love others, to say nice things about other people and not to fight with them or to make fun of them. Okay, so something that Jemima needs to learn and that we all need to learn is that part of living and working wisely for God is using our tongues, our words, to love other people. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us. And we thank you that you've given us our tongues so that we can show our love to other people by telling them, by building them up with our words. We pray that you would help us to uh, love others with our words and not to tear them down. Help us to be kind and not unloving. Please help us to be like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We all know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And what a silly and backwards saying it is. Bruises heal, bones can be mended, but the hurt caused by words can last a lot longer. And worse still is it can hurt both parties. Loose words said in heated moments can cause loss of friends, a loss of respect, or break apart marriages. I have a mate who decided when his kid was born that he would change his ways. He thought he would give up swearing and replace them with other words. He started calling people a goose. How how can that be offensive? But goose got used a lot, and especially while driving. The thing is, he didn't change his ways, he just changed the words. And it all became obvious. One day we decided to visit a new park which had a pond where you could feed the ducks. There, sitting majestically at the edge of the pond, was something bigger than a duck. Leaning down, he said to his kid, Look at that massive goose! His four-year-old son then slapped him on the leg and said, That is a terrible thing to say to that weird-looking duck. Now we all know that keeping our tongue in check is super difficult. And James certainly agrees and has decided uh, and has dedicated a whole section of his letter to it. This shows that it is not just difficult, but really important. Today we'll break this down into three sections, and we'll start with Teachers Have It Tough, then The Raging Fire, and finally Praises and Curses. So this first section, Teachers Have It Tough, is from verse 1 to the start of verse 5. That's right. I'm breaking the rules and separating the sections in the middle of a verse. Amma. But jumping straight in, James starts this first section with a warning. Before giving us an explanation. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Could this be the reason for our current teaching crisis? No. Teachers were extremely important in the first century. Firstly, not everyone could read and write. And secondly, because of this, it made teaching uh, teachers obvious leaders within the community. It was an easy way to get an advancement within the society, and this would have been very appealing to a lot of people for many different reasons. These two points were even more important within the Christian community. How do you spread the gospel? Through teachers. So becoming a teacher would look like a great thing to do. And really, what damage could a teacher do? We know that teachers lead the church, 
and with a Bible focus, the church will grow and honour God. But what if they aren't Bible focused? A charismatic, energetic and popular leader, surrounded by followers, could destroy a church, manipulating and turning it into whatever he wanted. We've all seen the American mega churches on early morning TV, praising God with one hand and asking for money with the other. I've even been told of a church in Sydney that has credit card machines on the ends of pews. But what can we do to ensure that we don't fall into this trap? It's a tricky one, but paying attention is the first step. Watching and listening, questioning not just the message, but the intention. Asking where is Jesus in this message? But James moves on, saying there is a massive downside to becoming a teacher. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, or maybe a clearer translation is we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness, now James includes himself in this. But he is clearly making the point that those that lead have a great power, and with great power comes great responsibility. Or, or maybe it's with great responsibility comes greater judgment. James then goes on in verse 2 to admit that he, like everyone else, stumbles from time to time. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So to not stumble in word, we would have to be perfect, and controlling our tongue will bridle our whole body. So the tongue has control, and it is the tongue that only a perfect man can control. But isn't this just the sticks and stones theory? All this is directly followed by a couple of obvious illustrations in verses 3 and 4. Now, I'm a city boy and didn't grow up with horses, but even I understand the referencing here. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. I'm even less of a boat person, but again, even I can understand the use of the rudder on a boat. Both boats and horses would have been a massive part of life in the first century. And remember, some of the disciples started as fishermen too. These are obvious illustrations for a reason. James is making it abundantly clear that the tongue has the power to direct our whole way of life. He even says so in the start of verse 5, where he says the tongue boasts great things. Now, I have skipped over a major point in this first section. James says only the perfect man can be a teacher who doesn't stumble. This would be a clear reference to Jesus. Jesus, the perfect man, was also the perfect teacher. A teacher who never got caught out, never accidentally said the wrong thing, and never lied to anyone. Perfect, sinless teacher. And that is the aspiration for every teacher, and a very high bar to meet. Impossibly high, in fact. James has explained that this is such an impossibly high standard because the most important tool for a teacher is the part of the body that is the hardest to control. But like a horse being led by a bit, or a boat being steered by a rudder, we should still be doing everything we can to try and reach that bar. Why? Because Jesus sets the example. Moving into the next section, and we are surrounded by fire. Now, although I'm a city boy, 
I have seen my fair share of fires. From small, barely alight fires that wouldn't warm a possum, to massive, raging, out-of-control fires, and everything in between. The one that sticks with me the most was nearly 30 years ago, when my mother and I were driving up through country New South Wales, heading for Queensland. It was mid-January, and yet the sky was black as night at 3pm in the afternoon. It turns out we were racing a bushfire. We only realised it when shrubs on the side of the road started bursting into flames in front of us. We couldn't see the fire, or feel it, but its presence was obvious. We drove like this for over 20 minutes, with no other car on the road, and nobody in sight. Luckily for us, the road curved away from the fire, and we were able to put some distance between us and the fire front. But that could have easily ended in disaster. And this is what James is warning about. In the second half of verse 5, James tells us that a little spark or flame is all it takes to start a raging bushfire. And in verse 6, he points out that the warning of verse 5 is a reality. Take a look. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. So our tongue is a flame that starts it all, the world of iniquity, a sinful, fallen, broken world. Our tongue is the fire, and our whole life is that world of iniquity. It is all-consuming. Like a bushfire, it leaves a trail of destruction. Then the second half of verse 6 has three steps. The tongue defiles, stains, or corrupts the whole body. Then it sets on fire the whole course of nature, or you could say your whole life. And the power to do that comes from hell. So our tongue causes corruption throughout us, it devastates our entire life, and it is caused by the powers of hell. This is not a pretty picture, but isn't it just sticks and stones? So how do we combat this? Surely our feeble efforts are not not going to be enough against the powers of hell. So do we just give up? If we make no effort to control our tongue, then surely the outcome is already set. We can use different words, like my friend with his son, but that doesn't exactly work out. Surely the only way to combat the powers of hell is with a greater power. Why wouldn't we be praying about this? Why shouldn't we be asking for God's help? Combining our efforts with a godly attitude will go a long way. It might help shine a light in the darkness. But in verses 7 and 8, James continues down the bleak path, telling us that even though we can tame every animal, we still can't tame the tongue. He starts by saying we've tamed every animal, just as set out by God in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle of all over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But even then, we can't tame the tongue. I saw a video recently where a man had bonded with a crocodile. He saved its life when it was young, and now they were friends. Not a little crocodile. This was a nearly 12-foot saltwater crocodile. This man could swim with it, 
cuddle it, even put his head inside its jaws. Not something I would do, but for this man, that animal was tamed. And yet that is easier than taming our tongue. According to James, our tongue is three things. It is unruly or unstable, it is evil, and it is full of deadly poison. James is most likely quoting David here, for in Psalm 140, with David talking about evil men, he says, They sharpen their tongues like snakes. The venom of vipers is on their lips. The fire is ready to rage, and we have no control over the ignition. Our last section, verses 9 to 12, starts with James reflecting back again on our tongue being unstable. With it we bless our our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Similitude is like saying, in the image of. It's just fancier words. He follows this up in verse 10 by repeating himself, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. The act of blessing, in which we honour and praise God, is shown in the Bible as not just important, but also pure and noble. To counter this, the act of cursing is also shown as lowly and filthy and deplorable. Jesus himself told his disciples not to curse anyone, but to bless those that curse you. And cursing in the ancient world is so much worse than just swearing at someone. It was to wish someone to be cut off from God, and therefore suffer eternal punishment. Now imagine saying that to someone who was made in the image of God. This ought not to be so. But isn't it just sticks and stones? There is, there's also a subtle shift here in wording. James goes from talking about the tongue to using the word mouth. This brings him in line with a lot of Jesus' teaching and makes it clear that he is referencing him. Like Matthew 11, verse 15, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And verse 18, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. James is now making it obviously clear that our words and spoken deeds are the issue. So with this in mind, we need to work twice as hard to control our tongue. It's not just the tongue, but a reflection of our heart. We can swap words all we like, but our heart and intentions will shine through eventually. It's not just effort we need here, but a heart change. This is what God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26-27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, our efforts to change will not be in vain. But in verses 11 and 12, James goes on to ask a couple of obvious rhetorical questions. Now, we can't even get fresh and saltwater crocodiles in the same body of water, let alone fresh and salt water in the same spot. But I had to do a little bit of research and investigating regarding verse 12 and the fig tree and the grapevine. So fig trees were often grown in vineyards, so they would ripen at the same time as the grapes. 
and the birds would prefer to eat the figs over the grapes because the seeds were easier to get to. But grafting the two plants together, in theory, is possible. However, in practice, you won't be able to grow both fruits, but, well, not well anyway. See, they end up stealing the nutrients from each other and therefore hinder the growth. Often this will end up killing the plant as well. So even trying to do something tricky, in the end, proves James right. So in this passage, James has told us in three different ways that we can't control our tongue. Without a bridle, our tongue will direct us. Our tongue is a fire and is out of control. And lastly, we are double-minded, cursing and blessing at the same time. He spends all this time telling us how important it is to get control of it, and yet he tells us it's impossible to tame. It certainly isn't just sticks and stones. James even brought this up earlier in his letter. See chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And again in chapter 1, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. There is a lot of doom and gloom here. So if we want to be a follower of Jesus and we want that to count, should we be pursuing this? And considering what we can lose, isn't it worth the effort? And isn't it something we should be asking for God's help with? And yet, amongst all this darkness from James, he sneaks in a spark of hope. Augustine mused that it is not just a continuation of the theme, but verse 8 says, No man can tame the tongue. Or another translation is, No one of man can tame the tongue. Therefore, when it is tamed, it is brought about only through the help and grace of God. It is only through this grace that the impossible can become possible. With a tamed tongue, the raging fires become nothing more than a campfire for roasting marshmallows. The broken bones will heal, the bruises will fade, and the sticks and stones will be just that. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for James and we thank you for his letter. We pray that you would not just help us to change the words we use, but to change our heart and our attitudes as well. We know that without you and your spirit, our efforts are in vain, and we continue that you, uh, we continue to pray that you would be with us, helping us and guiding us. We pray that you would bless us all this week as we go about our business and be with us every minute of every day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. That was Anthony there, and I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.